It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. A slow start to the week at the General Assembly, but we're kind of into this pattern where all of the work is done on Wednesdays. Yeah. And so today is Wednesday. So it's a working day. We were in the building on Tuesday. We're recording this, by the way, on Wednesday afternoon. In the building yesterday, 8.30, had an appointment. I think we saw four legislators and three lobbyists. Yeah, it was so quiet, and you wouldn't even know that we are in a budget week. But on Wednesday, it's picking up the pace. We saw some exciting committee meetings today. In what appears to be a trend for the Senate, we are seeing another quite controversial topic addressed over on the Senate side. Yeah, we're going to have legalized gambling if this bill makes it to the governor's desk. Senator Perry presented legislation today, along with Senator Paul Lowe from Winston-Salem, bipartisan bill that would basically legalize online gambling. A lot of folks do participate in online gambling. I know some friends that do this, but this would allow you to... (laughs) I have a friend. I have a friend. (laughs) Allow you to place a bet legally. And what Senator Perry presented today in the Finance Committee was this will allow the state to capture taxes, keep it in North Carolina, and regulate it. Sounds simple, but it's anything but. The bill is 17 pages, quite dense. And Senator Perry said, you know, we're still getting feedback. It's going to change throughout the process. And it has a tax on that, as you noted. It also has licenses Mm -hmm. for, I think, 10 to 12 different licensees, similar to what we heard with medical marijuana, these licenses would be $500,000 to start. So your average Joe off the street is not going to be able to start up a gambling business. Senator Joyce Waddell brought up that she thought the money was going towards education. She referenced the education lottery, which we do know there was some supplanting that went on after the education lottery was enacted. Senator Ralph Heiss made some comments. He didn't necessarily like the structure of how money needed to be appropriated, and he wanted to preserve that power for the General Assembly. This bill still has a ways to go, but as usual, Senator Perry puts on a very good reasonable presentation of a bill and presented it really in this, I thought his his most salient argument was, we're already gambling, let's capture that money and let's regulate this industry. The bill passed finance today, but it also needs to go to Senate Judiciary, Commerce, Rules, and then the floor. And when a bill has that many places to stop, you know it's probably going to change. While we were at the building today, lots of protesters circling the governor's mansion, singing and chanting about the governor's recommendation that we mask up even though you're vaccinated. COVID continues to enter into our politics. It felt like 2020 
all over again. I mean, a lot of things feel like we are entering back into 2020 with more COVID cases, but with the protests, I live nearby the governor's mansion and every week I would walk by a protest outside of the governor's mansion. It felt like that again. We saw a bill this week in the Senate. It got a unanimous vote. That's right. A child under the age of 18 must have parental consent in order to get a vaccine. I was very surprised by the unanimous vote. So this bill started as a bill that would just allow pharmacists to inject injectable drugs. So that would include vaccines. It would include other injectable drugs that potentially a minor might need. However, it expanded to include emergency vaccines and to have that emergency vaccine parental consent. I think if you are over six It requires a prescription. Mm -hmm. And then if you are over 10, it does not require a prescription, but any minors have to get that parental consent no matter what. So it was a House bill. It gets amended over on the Senate side. The Senate passes it on Tuesday. It simply has to go over to the House right now for a concurrence vote. Even though it was unanimous over in the Senate, and we've seen this happen before, it, it starts unanimous in the Senate that bill goes over to the House. It'll be interesting to see if House Democrats, how they feel about this legislation. We did see some good news this week as it pertains to COVID. Governor Cooper held a press conference today to give North Carolina an update about COVID-19 and the infection rate that seems to be rising across the state. But we saw some good news. An 18-year-old won the million-dollar vaccine lottery this week, and she noted that she's going to pay for her college, maybe her master's degree, and put a lot of the money away. It was a heartwarming story. And they noted also during that press conference that now we are paying $100 for you to go get your vaccine and $25 if you're driving someone. So like, if you want to start that business, I guess, to shuttle people in and out of getting vaccines, maybe you could make, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. I do want to also note that I believe the governor was asked if he was going to reinstate a mask, a statewide mask mandate. And he said that the cash incentives or the monetary incentives that the state's been providing have really increased our vaccination rate. So he didn't see a reason to do that right now. There was some somber news that really hit the General Assembly community starting over the weekend. Ms. Francis, Pope Patterson, a sergeant at arms over on the Senate side, only 64. She died suddenly. She was just at the General Assembly two weeks ago when we were there. Seemed completely fine. Really tragic passing. Miss Francis was so well regarded and liked. Miss Francis always had a kind word for whoever was in the committee. Senators, lobbyists, guests, making people feel at home, sharing a laugh. Very sad, sad loss. Very sad and a very, very sweet lady. On the House side... We learned Tuesday morning that we lost Representative Jerry Carter, Republican from Rockingham County, and he died after an extended illness. He had been hospitalized off and on over the last few weeks, but that was really just another blow Mm -hmm. at the General Assembly. That's right. He had a very rare GI disorder. 
and I had read that they had flown in at Duke, I believe. Mm-hmm. They had <laughs> flown in doctors from across the country to try to evaluate how to best treat him. So just unexpected, two unexpected deaths that are really sad for the political community. I had seen a post he made. I'm friends with him. I was friends with him on Facebook. And he had posted a a wonderful photograph that he seemed to take a lot of comfort in that he had a view of Duke Chapel from his hospital room. And he was up and he had taken this photo and, and I liked it. And I thought, this was a sign. This was in late June when he made this post. And I thought, well, he, he may be coming back any minute. And it was just shocking yesterday to get this news. We certainly give our deepest condolences to the family and friends and colleagues of Miss Francis and Representative Carter. I think it is important to note that for folks that are in the political realm here in North Carolina, it is a pretty small world. And you see the same people at the General Assembly day to day. And that includes lobbyists, legislators, sergeant at arms, staff. And it is sort of a very dysfunctional family, but a family of sorts. And so any loss of someone within that is really heartbreaking. The House is having their subcommittees in the morning starting at 8.30. Some of them are a little bit later, but they're all going to go through their portions of the budget. So it may not happen till tomorrow, but we know the budget is imminent. The subcommittee meetings range from transportation to education, justice and public safety, general government, health and human services. So we will hear a formal kind of outlay of what those buckets of expenditures are. Big appropriations is then scheduled, we believe, for this coming Tuesday. And then we expect those votes Wednesday, Thursday. And then that will start the conference report committee. And that's going to take us up until Labor Day. We've talked about that before on the podcast. This week, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Representative Zach Hawkins from Durham. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Zach Hawkins, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We'll just start off. Tell us a little bit about your district. What do you think makes your district special? First, uh, it's in Durham County. Uh, (laughs) And um, uh, Durham County, as you know, uh, is the southern equivalent of Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They will go toe-to-toe with you over a stoplight. So it's just an incredibly uh, incredible town that believes in public service, believes in civil rights, uh, believes in making sure that where the crooked roads are straight and we're aligned on the values of a better North Carolina, right? Which means anyone from anywhere should be able to maximize their God-given potential in the state of North Carolina. And we have to continue to push people to um, to do the right things in all, all levels of government. And so we, we trend Democratic, liberal, um, but I'm super proud of my district. It's the coolest district in the state of North Carolina. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Um, I have Research Triangle Park. We have the Art of Cool uh, Festival. Uh, we have a growing downtown. We have an eclectic mix 
of people from all over the world that live uh, in that district. And it's one of the fastest growing areas uh, in the state. You succeeded a legend in North Carolina politics. Understate. <laughs> <laughs> Representative Mickey Michaud, Senator Mickey Michaud, uh, former big chair of all big chairs back in the 2000s. He was one of the first African-Americans post-Reconstruction to come into the General Assembly. Yeah. Um, f- third. Yeah. And so all things from that point that we saw as progress as it relates to diversity and inclusion, he had a hand in. And so he helped to make a Zach Calkins and mm-hmm. anything and everything you see today, it was really, almost, it was a real passing of the baton to say, hey, young man, you go fight this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, of course, you feel the pressure of the fact that Martin Luther King got him involved in politics, right? Um, you're stayed like, at his house. Stayed at his house. You're like, well, who do I know that? <laughs> like, like, what in the world am I going to do to match that? But his, um, his advice has always been the same. You know, we have you know, things that, you know, we, we see in common, voting rights, HBCUs, teacher diversity, education overall, um, making sure that discrimination is eliminated in the state of North Carolina. And he said, but you have to, you have to run your own race. You mm-hmm. have to be your own person. And so there were, there were times, of course, that you wanted to do the Mickey Michaud thing mm-hmm. and, you know, raise a little hail. Um, and, and I've done that and I'll continue to do that. But there's a way that, that I have to approach the work um, that allows me to embody a lot of who he is, but also just just be my own person. And I think that's where the real success is going to come. But I respect him like nobody's business. And at not, soon to be 91, mm-hmm. um, I, as I talk to him pretty frequently, he knows what's going on in the building. Yeah. Uh, he's mm-hmm. on top of it. He gives me advice. And so that mentorship that's lasted well over a decade um, has, has continued. And so it's been an honor of my life. Mm-hmm. to succeed someone like him and make sure that we get back to things that he cared about. How did you get involved in politics originally? That's a, that's a really good question. So I'll give you the, the, the short version. Um, I grew up on a dirt road in Chacoinity, North Carolina, which one of my main goals of the General Assembly is to make sure everybody knows what Chacoinity is. Yeah. Um, and uh, Where is it? Chacoinity is in Beaufort <laughs> County. Beaufort County. Uh, <laughs> Kidwell okay. is my hometown legislator. Okay, all right. Um, and so the, you know, so growing up in Chacoinity, um, you know, public schools had, um, you know, a uh, grandmother who um, was just super active. She taught for 30 plus years, was church secretary for 30 plus. She was out and at every meeting you could have, and she ended up serving on the school board in our county to fill an unexpired term. And so that was sort of just a model of public service that I saw, right? You know, my mom was born and raised there. My dad was a Trinidadian immigrant that came down to the South, was a Marine. Um, They met, they split, right? He went back to New York City, we stayed. Um, And so I had, you know, this, my grandparents as a set of, of great examples of not only what, um, good people, hardworking people were, but also what public service was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I did all the things in high school, went to Elizabeth City State. Um, in my last year, I was in student government and got bit by the bug in 2000, Bush mm-hmm. v. Gore. And uh, we had some voter registration, voter outreach efforts. And I was like, this is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I said, we didn't, you know, we didn't win the big race, but we did great things on campus. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I, you know, thought that was a fleeting thing. Moved to Durham, and um, uh, my uh, my college sweetheart and I were expecting a little boy. Uh, he was born in November, and uh, seven months later, his arm was broken in daycare. Oh wow! I know, crazy, wow. crazy enough. I was a new dad um, in Durham, didn't know a soul, 
And um, what uh, happened is I said, you know what? I'm never going to feel this way again. So I got involved. I started showing up at David Price's office, getting involved in the party, getting the chance to network. But what I quickly found out is I got a chance to grow is that there were other people feeling helpless and hopeless mm-hmm. every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that eventually I was in grad school, right? I was moving forward. I was going to be okay. But those people needed a voice. And so it sort of launched me into this um, uh, sort of dual life where I was, you know, in biology, I was, you know, wanted to be a professor and, um, but wanted to stay involved. And so I ended up, you know, doing the Democratic Party thing. I ended up being the field director for David Price and running a Larry Hall first campaign, yeah. um, getting involved locally, and when, then decided to go into the classroom. And when I was in the classroom, it was the other side of the politics, right? Because I was involved in moving around statewide and meeting all these people who said, this is what we're doing for public education. I'm like, I am literally a science teacher in a high school, <laughs> and you're doing none of this. <laughs> none of it. I had, it was, uh, you know, again, think about it. I, you know, I saw people who taught my mother, and I saw a grandparent make ends meet off a teacher salary. I fast forward, I see a, my uh, teacher um, mentor get up at 7 o'clock, you know, 7 to 3, mentor, do stuff after school, and at 5 o'clock she was serving burgers and beers to make ends meet. I was like, mm-hmm. this is not right. And then not to mention some of the brightest kids so from, from some of the roughest areas were coming in with all of society on its back, trying to make it. We didn't have enough money to do this. We didn't have money to do that. And so, um, you know, through that, plus being involved, I started to really tend towards, you know what, I think this elected thing may be, mm-hmm. you know, something I need to get into. And so through a, a series of, um, uh, of opportunities, um, I was able to, you know, go back to the Democratic Party uh, as a statewide officer from 2012 to 2017 um, and really helped to, you know, build the state of North Carolina back to where it is. And luckily, we, that ended with the governor, uh, Roy Cooper. And after I left that, uh, I just said, you know what, the next step has to be to serve. And uh, luckily, um, Representative Michelle was in this 20th term yeah. <laughs> uh, at that point. And we had built in a dynamic relationship, and uh, he'd seen the work, right, since 2002, and um, he, uh, he thought that I'd be a good, a good uh, replacement, a good successor. Coming in as a new legislator, you had some pretty big successes, including the elections bill in 2019. How did you get involved and how did you form this relationship with the Republican Party to be able to succeed and make gains? At the end of the day, uh, you know, for me, the policy is I come in with my Durham values. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are on display. It's nothing I can do about them. Um, trust me, Republicans know what Durham values are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I realize that uh, they are people, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and once you sort of uh, and they have values that they bring to the table, which I need to respect. Um, but there are things that we can work together on. Right. You cannot fight about everything. And believe it or not, in Durham, even though we talk about all the things that we want to see if you know we get power they you know people clap for those but what they clap for just as loud is when we say we're working across the aisle mm-hmm. and um people are always surprised to hear that and so i i bring that sort of pragmatism that pr- progressive pragmatism um to the work and i believe in getting to know people as people right mm-hmm. um because i used to i grew up with this uh thing on my 
um, door that said, if you get to know us, you'll like us, right? right? And so that just showed me that I need to, you know, put down the veil, sometimes just get to know people as people. And uh, David Lewis and I got a chance to, to build a relationship as a part of that. And so um, early on, there was a, um, there was a, a, someone noticed, there were two bills, actually, there was a notice that there was um, an issue with um, colleges, universities, and state IDs not being included on the voter ID list. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't know what was going to happen in months to come. So it was one of those things where we needed to raise the issue of how can we make sure that, you know, a kid with a college ID potentially could use it as a voting instrument. So that was the only sort of impetus and, um, uh, you know, filed the bill uh, with Ray Russell and, um, and then went to him. And um, he said, you know, we're going to take a look at that. And to his credit, he stuck to his word yeah. that we later on were going to do that. And so we just continued to massage it and continue to work together. Now, I, as I also, also as a freshman, he taught me that he was the rules chair. Yes. <laughs> um, he taught me that he was the rules chair a couple of times because, you know, I'm coming in, you know, you know, we had just broken the supermajority. We're a big class. I, you know, want to be a, a freshman that makes a name for himself. Yeah. And I had heard, you know, of course, from, you know, a lot of folks, especially Mickey and play, people like Grim Martin, you got to know the rules, right? Yeah. And even from Tim Moore, Tim Moore said that's how he, you know, rose to stardom because he used to give the Democrats hell mm -hmm. um, through, you know, using the rule book to his advantage. So I was like, hey, work for them, right? Right. Um, and so it worked It worked a couple of times, uh, but uh, he gave me the smack down uh, yeah. a couple of times too, but it, it, but it allowed me to go to him and learn, right? Yeah. It allowed me to sort of, see you know what he knew how he understood it so that i could build as a legislator because i believe you can pull nuggets from anybody right. and so anyway we um we built a relationship through that bill got it done and then uh, moved on to um the major voting uh, election voting and elections bill that expanded um you know like you said we talked about you know saturday you know saturday voting mm -hmm. you know making sure that um you know, you know, people, you know, had, you know, greater opportunity and greater access that didn't exist prior. And I think through that process, um, you know, people, uh, you know, started to respect the fact that you could work across the aisle, but you did not have to sell your soul, right? right. There are things that if you find those nuggets that you can work together on, that you absolutely should do it. And you should give praise where praise is due, because yeah. I don't believe that you can get credibility over here, or you should not get credibility over here by being solely partisan. Another bill you worked on, and we're fast forwarding now to the this most recent session, um, a bill landed on the governor's desk dealing with autism. And this was a bill that had been filed in past sessions. It had floundered over on the Senate side. Not only did you work on this bill behind the scenes. I know you were at the governor's mansion for the bill signing, but this particular bill also hits home for you. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that, Representative Hawkins? Yes. Uh, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, you know, Senate Bill 105, which, you know, removed regulations um, for families with autism, um, was a bill that uh, I was so uh, excited to have my wife join me for, um, uh, the bill signing for, along with Senator Jim Perry and uh, Representative John Bell. Um, and, but, it, but inspired by previous legislators who had fought that fight and allowed me as a freshman to get involved because of my personal connection. Um, my wife and I are, um, are um, you know, parents to amazing boys, uh, mm -hmm. Adam, who's five, and James Preston, who is seven, both with autism. Oh. Um, and uh, it was uh, the, the funny thing about that 
is uh, imagine sort of, you know, uh, winning your, uh, you know, I guess that when I filed, after I filed, sorry, uh, I found out, we found out shortly after that James Preston was diagnosed. Mm. Um, shortly before, um, uh, seven months later, so this is shortly before um, either winning or being sworn in, you find out your second son is diagnosed with autism. And so um, not that this was on my legislative agenda, right? right. right. <laughs> um, but uh, it has become you know, one of the things that I will go to the mat for because um, it is another one, it's an example. This has no partisanship. Right. Autism does not care. It's one in 54, I believe now, and, and growing. Um, and there were a lot of people across the state who, because they lived in the wrong zip code, were not getting access to care. Mm -hmm. um, that families were having to drive two hours, essentially not have a working life, not being able to put food on their family's table because they were trying to work to get the appropriate care. And so um, I, was, I was honored that um, you know, the, you know, the representatives and the senators that I mentioned uh, allowed me uh, to come, come into that space and be as involved as I was. Mm -hmm. um, because they understood that there, there needed to be a personal side to this, right? And that's, that's, that was humanizing, that's humbling for me. We now are at a point um, where the, you know, the ABA um, applied behavioral uh, analysis um, sort of therapy, uh, those professionals and those, those types of services will be more plentiful in North Carolina. Uh, it was really one of those, um, uh, those opportunities that should be held up, I think, as an example of what we can do when we put the politics to the side and we actually put the people who need it first. And it is nonpartisan, but it did take a lot of work, right? It Behind took a lot the of scenes. Work. It did. The pressure um, at that point um, and the conversations that we had um, were mostly uplifting because I think uh, because of the bipartisan nature, uh, families felt like, wow, we finally have people who are listening, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the advocate side, um, you know, there, uh, that's one thing I've learned about the General Assembly. There's somebody who cares about everything that goes on in this building. <laughs> and so if you make one slight move, you will have an army coming after you. Um, and, but when you're doing something that people have been sort of hoping for for a long time, you find friends in unlikely places. The, the thing that has really changed, just to be completely um, uh, candid here, is that this General Assembly has more people who have connections to autism and IDD than any other General yeah. Assembly. And so, you know, you have, um, you know, you have folks, um, you know, uh, that are, you know, new to the General Assembly on the Republican side. You have, you know, Representative Moffitt, for example, who has uh, a connection, who's open about that connection. Uh, there's an, another uh, legislator that has, um, has an, a legislative assistant, a, a, a legislative assistant that, um, uh, has a connection to IDD. Um, yeah. We formed um, the IDD caucus um, okay. and started to realize that uh, even on our side, uh, there were more people who understood the issue. And of course, um, you know, nothing fixes good legislation like someone who retires. Yeah. Um, and so there are a few people who have been roadblocks to understanding sort of, um, you know, A, you know, what it meant to families. They just didn't understand it. Secondly, um, you know, I think the, the stakeholders uh, that, you know, were, were in the way, um, and Senator Jim Perry really worked this out on the Senate side, um, he made people comfortable with, mm. um, with what it meant and what it, you know, what it didn't mean. And I think that he gets a lot, he should get a lot of credit for that. 
Um, and I think, uh, and I think thirdly, we started to hear from more people and more legislators started to hear from more people. So mm. those are the things, but most importantly, you just had more people who didn't have to go take the educational leap to understand what it meant. And, um, and, and essentially what it does is it just creates a, a governing board so mm. that they can, they are licensed, they have rules, they have regulations, they have discipline, disciplinary, um, actions and they're not unnecessarily being supervised by licensed psychologists. Mm. And so there was, you know, even with the psychology board, they eventually sort of, they got there. You and Tracy, as you pointed out, have three sons, teenage son and and two smaller uh, kids. God bless us. Yeah. And you're a young man. uh, Thank you. (laughs) By legislative standards. How do you balance this incredible workload at the General Assembly with your family life and also providing for your family. This must be very challenging. Talked to you yesterday. We're getting you scheduled to come on to the podcast. You were out in the district. You had some meet. You got some meetings this morning. You're very busy. How, how do you keep up with this schedule? Yeah. Um, it, you know, I think first for anyone listening, uh, and I know my legislative friends know this, we are not a part-time legislature. No. Anymore. Right. Uh, you do not have, uh, you know, Jim and, and Sally coming off the farm to serve for a couple months and then go back home. Right. Those days are over in right. North Carolina. You quickly realize that, you know, the buckets of things that um, your district cares about, you personally care about, um, and that align with, you know, all sorts of of values are the pieces that while you're learning a lot, you still have to focus. You cannot be um, an inch inch deep and a Mm -hmm. mile wide, right? Mm -hmm. Like you at some point you have to sort of, you know, have things that you know uh, that you can go deeply on. Yeah. And once you sort of make that connection in the General Assembly, that's when you can be, in my, my opinion, effective. Yeah. Um, and that's when you can start to manage the workload. Um, one thing that I still do is I still get up and take the boys to school uh, in the morning. Yeah. So we're up at 6.45 and driving a couple hours and you know, doing that stuff before we then have to either plug up in a hybrid situation at home or um, you know, come to the General Assembly. Uh, I think uh, that has probably that that you know structured lifestyle um, has set us up for a little bit of success. Now it still um, uh, puts you in a situation like I know all of my legislative friends can relate to is that you still are working twelve hour days, if yeah. not more. So as you know, our politics have become extremely partisan. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who gave that away? <laughs> if you could fix one thing about our politics, if you had a magic wand to fix one thing today, what would that thing be? You know, I would say, uh, and I probably have heard this before, is um, when, it, you know, when it comes down to the way that um, we get to know each other, um, I would absolutely, I would absolutely change that. Because uh, as I spoke before, you know, we're all, you know, we're, we have different values, but we're making the same sacrifice. Yeah. We're all spending time from our families. We're all, you know, trying to juggle like we just talked about. We're all, um, you know, trying to put food on people's table and make the best decision that we know possible. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was working for David Price, uh, he talked about before the 94 revolution, uh, Gingrich revolution, they used to go out to dinner together. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to, you know, get to know each other. And it was, 
you know, we're going to clock in and we're going to fight and we're going to talk about it, we're going to debate. But after that, we're going to get a chance to know each other. And I would say that, um, you know, that sort of that level of humanity um, and sort of genuine getting to know you because, you know, I, I, I care about, you know, you, I, I know your family. Um, you know, I was deeply saddened when Jerry Carter passed, right? Because yeah. in my interactions with him, he was incredibly kind. Yeah. Uh, he was a nice guy. Um, and so, you know, not having everything be partisan. Again, I bring my partisanship to the table, right? Mm -hmm. There are things, you know, voting rights, civil rights, education, K through 12, all those things, you know, teacher diversity, I'm gonna go to the mat for. But um, I just, I want um, people to understand uh, that, again, we're, we're all human and that we're all just trying to do our best uh, for the people of North Carolina and that we should not, on bills that could be bipartisan, they shouldn't just be straight partisan. They shouldn't just have Democrats on them or Republicans on them. Yeah. If there are bills that make sense, that we're really trying to move the ball forward, um, you know, for the state and have real debate, then let them be bipartisan, right? Yeah. Uh, I think so that's, that's sort of the, uh, the one thing that I would say. And I think that uh, we're, we'll be all the better for it. Yeah. Back yeah. to your banner. That's right. Once you get to know me, you'll like me. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. So. Well, Representative Zach Hawkins, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. As we were talking to Representative Hawkins, I kept having this thought in the back of my head, wondering if we were interviewing possibly a future statewide candidate, maybe even a future governor. Do you wonder that when we interview a lot of people? Yeah, I do. I do wonder, you know, as they sit in this chair, is this someone that's aspiring to higher office? And, and some are. I just get the sense from him, and maybe it's his youth. He, he is very young. He's very polished. If, if this is someone that we will see on a bigger stage at some point. He is polished, and when he talks, it's hard not to really be engaged in what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Very thoughtful, and he picks his battles well. Like he said, he tries not to be an expert on everything, but when he decides that he's going to work on election issues, when he is going to work on that autism bill, he really digs in, and it's not uncommon to see him coming out of the speaker's office, coming out of the rules chairman's office. He wants to get things done, but I totally admire the fact that he can do that, but he also, as he said, he has those Bull City values. He brings them to the General Assembly, but he also wants to get things done. It's very refreshing. I'm looking forward to seeing more great things from him, more bipartisanship. So for our tweet of the week this week, there were an outpouring of tweets about both Ms. Francis and Representative Carter. We saw a tweet from Senator Michael Garrett this weekend about Ms. Francis's passing, and it was just a very, very kind tweet, a tweet thread actually, and it said that she was one of the most kind and welcoming people I've ever met. We've always talked about our families, her teaching career, and my offensive light blue ties. Days at the General Assembly will be tougher without her humor and welcoming smile. I'm grateful to be among the countless people from her students to senators, fortunate to cross paths with Francis. 
join me in lifting her family, friends, and neighbors up in light and love. A similar tweet followed that by Senator Todd Johnson, who echoed those remarks and also said that despite his UNC graduation, he was going to wear red ties in Miss Francis's honor. So we know what next week's going to be for us. Yeah. Another budget week. Budget week. Fun thing about the House is it's really more of a roller coaster than it is on the Senate side. The Senate, like when we covered the Senate budget and we were talking about their Appropriations Day versus the House Appropriations Day, and the Senate essentially made all of these rules so you couldn't really have an amendment. The House will not do that. Yeah, they'll have 70 amendments, and we will go through one by one by one, most of them being voted down, but we will hear them. We will hear all of them, and it'll be a full-day process, and then they'll do it again once it gets to the floor. Yeah, and if they go long enough on the floor debate, we may not even just go home and come back the next day. If you go late enough, chances are we'll just break for dinner, take a little recess, and we'll be back at 12.01. The most fun nights at the General Assembly, to be honest. Very fun. And if you want to come hang out with us, it's kind of a tradition for us on these budget nights, crossover night, end of session. You'll see us up on the roof just enjoying the sights and the camaraderie with staff members, legislators, and other lobbyists. On a lighter note, this weekend, please join me in wishing Brian Lewis newly nose hairless (laughs) (laughs) brian lewis a happy 50th birthday so how are you feeling about your big birthday yeah it's you know the budget's on my mind i have to admit that but sunday i do turn 50 a lot of life changes are happening to me right now my Son goes to NC State in two weeks. My daughter leaves in three weeks. I'm about to turn 50. I feel good about it. I I love the work that I do. I love my colleagues. And I love being down at the General Assembly. But being 50 years old, I have to admit, feels odd. Because in so many ways, I feel really Like I just got out of high school, just got out of college. I know that's not the case, but I still have this mindset. And and so I haven't wrapped my mind around it fully. I'm sure it'll sink in on Sunday. I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to celebrating you. You know I love birthdays. And I just had my 30th birthday. You're having your 50th birthday. So we had some big milestones this year. But please wish Brian a happy birthday. (laughs) I'm so excited for you. Like, rate, review, share this podcast with your friends on social media. Help listeners find us. We hope that you have a relaxing weekend this weekend. A great house budget week next week. And remember to do politics better. Do you think that 50 is the year that you'll start wearing undershirts? (laughs) No, I think I'm going to care less.